0: Authors I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge your career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at the www.hybridauthor.com.au Let's crack on with the episode. I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with Hardy Grant non-fiction publisher Emily Hart and WeChat about the non-fiction publishing industry, big and small presses, episode 65 guest Jasper Peach's first non-fiction book through the design choices, editorial team structure and format, gaps in the market, comparison title ideas for aspiring authors in the submission process, and the Spark Award. So in my author adventure this week, it's been very exciting. The big news I can finally share, and which has halted my hybrid author progress, is that we have sold our house, our family home that we built seven years ago, and are hitting the road in our caravan full time. So this means homeschooling my children and picking up various work along the way. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a couple of months of slowly getting ready for this. I mean, I, I was scared at first, but now it's starting to approach. I'm just starting to get really, really excited so we hopefully have the sale of our house go through at the end of this month end of march and we have a date of leaving on the 15th of april so it's really going to be amazing i'm really looking forward to the experience get out there and see this great country get super close super close with my family and just having life lessons i have given notice at my part-time script technical script writing job i have cancelled my gym membership i had my last book club meeting last night and uh, it was lovely. It's it's just been a lot of farewells. I've obviously let the school know that the children are not coming back after term one, and you know we've been there since the beginning, so that was quite nostalgic. And uh, yeah, but all these things are making it feel quite real. It's also you know sort of showing me what a, a community in life we've we've kind of made around ourselves, and uh, it feels sad to kind of be in, let let it go but I'm excited to start something new. So I will continue to do the podcast on my travels and of course my pursuit of becoming a hybrid author still stands so in independently publishing news I received the first box ever of author fears and how to overcome them and it just made me so happy. Honestly I would publish books every single day just to be able to open the boxes when they arrive. It is such a great feeling. It's just amazing. Um, So it was really really cool to to receive that. If you are in Perth, Western Australia this week, fellow children's author and friend of mine, Periddy P8, will be selling her wares, books, stickers, notebooks, as well as other stuff, and my two non-fiction books, Author Fears and How to Overcome Them, and Freelance Writing Quick Tips for Fast Success, on her stall at Markets for St. Patrick's Day. That is this Saturday at 8 o'clock till 1230 And uh, loads of things happening. It's at the Olympic Kingsway Stadium, I think, which is 34 Bellarive or Bellarive Boulevard, Madley. And there'll be loads of market stalls, fun for the kids, whole family affair. So yeah, if you're down in the neighbourhood, pop down and see Pretty, and yeah, you'll be able to see my books as well. In preparation for having my books on Pretty Stall. I went to Officeworks and I picked up some of these plastic, it's kind of like a double-sided A4 stand and so that's got my price list on it and on the back it's got my QR scan code so you can scan it direct to my website if anyone wanted to know more but didn't particularly buy a book on the day. And those stands are just amazing. And there was also one that had four kind of tiers for, it was like, it, probably someone would use it for brochures, but because my books are A5, they're perfect for a size for them to be stacked, you know, one behind each other, head, like tall. And it just looks great. I, I'm going to put a picture on social media this week so you'll be able to see it. And it just looks like a really cool professional setup. My books look fantastic in my uh, dining room table, so I'm sure they'll look great on Freddy's stall. In terms of QR codes, if... Uh, your new author, or just in general, Paredi had asked me whether I was going to have business cards or had any to give. But I have drawers full of business cards from say two or three businesses. When I first one for uh, my children's fiction, when I first uh, independently published a junior fiction book in my first year of uni, I had that business card which had the picture of my book on the front, and it was really cool. And it had all my social media on there. But my website has changed since then, so. Those kind of became obsolete, and then my non-fiction books, which is under author linings series, but originally I had set up author linings as a business before hybrid author came along, and I had lots of cards printed up for that, and they were really cool business cards, but again, they've got an old website address on there, an old email, so I'm done with business cards. <laughs> they just, they're not great, and so what these, you know, you, if you've been at a restaurant these days, people are not even getting off their their butts really go in order now you can just scan a qr code and you get sent straight to the site that you need so that is my business card now these qr codes are fantastic and they're going to save on space and paper and all sorts of stuff so and now all i done was you just type into google free qr codes and it's so simple you just type in your website type if you want uh, an address or something and then the, the code is administered to yourself and you just download it very easy and free. I have also submitted my author fears and how to overcome them book into the Writer's Digest self-publishing awards which is I think it's an early bird deadline the 3rd of April and then I think the next one's in May if anybody wants to join that. Uh, It's the first time I've sort of uh, entered a competition via them. It is USA based so I did have to pay a fee to join and also send a copy of my book so fingers crossed for me. In traditional publishing news, I am still in the submitting phase of my picture book, The Shouting Family. Since last week, I have sent it out to another publisher. They are based in uh, New York, and uh, I've, I've reviewed their books, and I think they would be a great fit for mine. I have also, also started the rewrites of The Caravan Kid, which is my junior fiction, and uh, plan to get that book out into the world once those have been accomplished. So lots of positives this week, and it's funny because if you listen to a few episodes back of the podcast when I'd received a rejection and, you know, I just felt a bit down with my writing uh, for about a week or so, and it just goes to show you take the light with the dark, just keep plugging on, that's what this industry is all about, the highs and the lows, like life really. So if you're feeling a bit down this week, just hang on in there, keep on going with your author aspirations. Because next week is a new week, and it could be your week. So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash thehybridauthor. Let's all support each other. Emily Hart is a publisher at Hardy Grant Books in Melbourne, where she commissions nonfiction books of all kinds and co-convenes the Spark Prize for Narrative Nonfiction. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast, Emily. Thank you so much for having me, Jo. Oh, we're absolutely thrilled to have you. We'll get started from the beginning. How did you come to join the publishing industry and, you know, effectively land a job at Hardy Grant?
1: Um, So I was always a big reader, um, no surprises there. Um, (laughs) And so I guess working in the book industry was always a bit of a dream for me. I loved working with words, but didn't necessarily see myself as a writer. Uh, Unlike a lot of people, that enter the industry now I didn't actually study publishing I studied a commerce degree and an arts <laughs> degree as well so a bit of a, a mix of both sides of my brain I guess and I actually back at school I had done my work experience in Adelaide at a, um, a small publisher there called Wakefield Press Hair to them. <laughs> them yeah, yeah. I, um, I did after that a bit I, I did a ghostwriting role um, for a politician yeah. I did some book selling and then I found myself back at Wakefield Press sort of towards the end of my university time. Initially, I was answering phones, organizing events, but then I started to train to be an editor as well, among a whole bunch of other things, the kind of things that you do at a small press, you know, jumping in with marketing and publicity, yeah. running a bookshop, yeah, just whatever whatever needs to be done. I was there for a few years and then I applied at Hardy Grant. Um, I actually initially applied for a job in the children's team. And they very kindly told me that I was a bit overqualified and internally referred me over to the uh, grown-up books side of things (laughs) where I work now. And I've been here for going on five and a half years in some different roles
0: wow that's incredible to me here and all that I'm just like that sounds like my dream job (laughs) you know to get to have a a shot at all sorts of different things within the publishing house that'd be so cool at Wakefield Press but uh yeah I wonder what overqualified for the children's side
1: (laughs) oh that sounds bad not because because, (laughs) it's just because of the particular role that it was It was, uh, it was a kind of entry level role, I guess because I hadn't studied publishing and because I felt like I was you know coming a little bit into it as an outsider from especially when the the industry feels very focused on on the East Coast here in Australia. I don't know if you find that being Perth-based yourself. I sort of felt like I might have to start from scratch a little bit if i wanted to to move over into a bigger publishing house but i was very happy that
0: that was yeah it. do you feel like they're more into like i would have felt the same i guess like not having the formal degree or anything and to get in that way but do they prefer maybe people who haven't trained in that area so they can maybe train them up from their side i suppose i don't know
1: that's it's a good question i think that the two most helpful experiences that you can probably have for a publishing career would be experienced in publishing obviously that's a you know that classic thing that you know you need experience for an entry-level job a bit ridiculous but um the more you are exposed to, to different parts of the industry the better, and some—I mm. mean, there's some things that can be taught in a course, but I think there are a lot of things that just doing them big difference. And being in a small press, you know, somewhere where there's 10 people doing all the roles that you would usually have in a big publishing house with 100 people, means that you really see how all the pieces fit together. The other experience that I did have that was really valuable was the bookselling experience. Yeah. Um, so I think any publishing house will tell you that bookselling experience is such a valuable thing to have in terms of really knowing how customers interact with the books at the end of their journey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's all interconnected, isn't it? So the more experience you've got across the board the, the better served i guess to the industry you are well hardy grant are they a bigger big, be bigger than wakefield press i would imagine what's the size of the team like there that you're a part of
1: yeah so hardy grant is usually around depends on the on the day usually i'm sort of the seventh biggest publisher in, in australia mm. so it's an independent press but it's really up there with the big multinational publishers it started in melbourne 25 years ago and it's still based here in in Melbourne is sort of the biggest part of the team, but there's offices in Sydney and also in London and San Francisco. So it's amazing to be part of a a publisher that has that kind of global outlook. And, and I guess because I work in one part you know for one imprint I mean even then the people who work for Hardy Grant Books it's already sort of double maybe even three times the size of the team that I was working with in in, Wakefield Press Um, but then you multiply that out over you know six imprints across um, the four offices Um, and yeah it's it's nice to be part of a a bigger team.
0: Yeah yeah no it sounds incredible and very exciting well today we are here to talk about gaps in the market and of course the the new release so we'll just dive right in you are the publisher who brought Jasper peach on for the new release of you'll be a wonderful parent advice and encouragement for rainbow families of all kinds and it's a wonderful colorful little book it's absolutely gorgeous tell us about the project you know how did it come about and was jasper recruited to write it or rather than the submission process i think obviously we've, we spoke to jasper so <laughs> you've already had a, yeah. <laughs> a view of my answer we, we, yeah <laughs> we, we didn't go too much into the publishing side of it so that's where you'll add some good key aspects there
1: yeah Yeah, sure. So I mean it's I think it's really lovely how this book came to be, but I feel like I can take very little credit for that process. So it actually started with another one of our authors, Ailsa Wilde. So Ailsa is an author who's written a whole lot of different types of books and she originally came to Hardy Grant as a children's author. She's written a couple of early reader stories, including Squishy Taylor, which has been very successful. And then I was lucky to publish her first book for adults, which was a beautiful book called The Care Factor, about a, a friend of hers who trained to become a COVID ICU nurse. Wow, and through that I feel like I saw how much Elsa was this very thoughtful and collaborative, creative writer. And then a couple of years down the track, she came to us with a letter that she had written for a friend of hers when he was about to become a dad, and it was full of kind of words of advice and encouragement on becoming a dad. And it was a letter that had been passed on from dad to dad to the point where (laughs) Elsa was sort of encouraged, approached by people that she had never met to let her know how much that letter had helped them on their journey as dads. Oh, that's lovely yeah it was beautiful and so she wanted to get that letter out into the world so it could reach other dads and and we you know really resonated with us and so we published it as you'll be a wonderful dad and so Elsa being this very yeah very collaborative and and considered writer um knew how important it was to get some other perspectives in that book but there was a challenge in that book because a lot of the content really was speaking pretty directly to most likely a cisgender man in a A heterosexual relationship and expanding out that target almost started to dilute some of the content because a lot of it was about the kind of patriarchal structures that can jump up in relationships when people become parents even though they think they've kind of progressed past that in their own mind and they sort of find it rearing its head again in the parenting space and so Elsa had a friend Jasper who they thought would do a wonderful job of a sensitivity read for the book and Jasper read the book and they came back with some good feedback around um, some points of how we could make sure that there was always encouragement for the dads who are reading the book to make sure that they were thinking about different types of families and, and intersectionality. but. They also agreed that there was space for this book to be a a book for dads in heterosexual relationships, but that instead of trying to make that the book for everyone, that maybe there could be a book that was more for everyone, as in everyone who is in a a relationship that doesn't look like that, people who are in in queer families, um, and who don't have as many resources in, in in the parenting space and who don't necessarily see themselves reflected in in the books and, and other you know content that's out there. And yeah, so it was it was really Jasper via Ailsa who came up with the idea of doing a companion book to You'll Be a Wonderful Dad that um, was for, for queer families and queer parents of all kinds. And, and all I really did was say that that sounds great. And we, yeah. love, <laughs> we love Jasper's writing. They um, brought a lot of warmth. And, and again, that kind of considered collaborative, clear and thoughtful approach to, to the writing. So it just felt like a, a no brainer really yeah. that's a, an, an exciting thing to be able to put something on the shelf that hasn't been there before.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that and I love that it's, you know, you use the term companion because well oh, I just think that's that's gorgeous. Uh with I haven't read Elsa's book, but with Jasper's story, is it Being the companion sort of book, is it largely the same kind of topics? Like, you know, beginning to start the family, think about that, then during and then after?
1: There is probably the biggest difference, I would say, in terms of structure is that Ailsa's book more starts from probably around when you know you're about to have a child. I guess one of the biggest challenges for a lot of queer families is that jump from even imagining having a child to then ha- making that happen is a huge journey in itself. Yeah. So When you get to the point where that child is coming into your life, whatever way it's coming into your life, you've gone on a, a huge a huge yeah. parent journey already to get there, so that was a really big focus for for Jasper's book. And so that those bits once the child is here, and you know, they're still a part of the book, but it's a lot of that that kind of hand holding during what can be a really tough experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you obviously gave the go ahead. Did you then work with Jasper closely? Was that your position to get the content where he's wanted to be, or make it come together?
1: Yeah, so I I, mean, I mainly work in a nonfiction space. And one thing I think is interesting about working in a nonfiction spaces, I'm often working on books that are not written yet. Yeah. So we often are signing up books that are an idea, maybe an idea in a chapter, maybe an idea in half a book, but very rarely a whole book. So it does give me the I guess real privilege of being able to, to chat with an author as they're developing their manuscript from structure through writing so that when we get to an editorial stage there's already been that kind of sense of collaboration and, and 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 you know the the most important thing is is for the author to feel a really strong sense of ownership over that whole process but yeah I feel lucky to be able to be involved and and that was was somewhat the, the process with Jasper's book they had the idea of including quite a lot of different stories in the book from other queer families because they wanted it to feel like a really representative piece so one thing that that element of the book there was no sense of kind of, okay, this is what we'll do and this is what we'll find. You know, Jasper wanted to to kind of see what could come out of all those conversations. And the yeah. most difficult thing definitely was trying to keep it to a short book. I think that's one thing yeah. for being a companion book to Ailsa's book is that Ailsa's book was a um quite a short, you know, read in one sitting book yeah. as opposed to a comprehensive, here's everything you need to know book. And we imagined this as something a bit the same, just something that didn't, feel overwhelming and that it felt really accessible and almost quite giftable to people yeah. in your life so but there was so much to say there was so much yeah. to say so. <laughs> I feel yeah. like um, You'll Be a Wonderful Parent Volume 2 Will be coming your way At some point From Jasper yeah. There's so much They could have covered
0: Yeah Well that's what I said To Jasper During the conversation I said you know Have you thought about Obviously that's one part Of the adventure You know the parenting adventure Is sort of the beginning And then during And then after But then there's a lot more That comes later When the, when the children Are later years and things And I said Is there going to be The next one And they were like Oh well Maybe like <laughs> oh, okay, well, we still- yeah. Lots of amazing yeah.
1: ideas. They're always doing lots of great projects in terms of other writing. I know they've got lots of things up their sleeves. So. Yeah,
0: I think non nonfiction feels really exciting. You know, it sounds like it's a really personal experience, something quite different than than fiction to be able to work with authors in that manner.
1: Yeah, I think there is two elements that maybe one one I feel like that it's a really in, interesting time for non-fiction I, I I wonder if more kind of historically I mean I can't obviously speak to the full canon of nonfiction literature but uh I know, maybe there was some clearer delineation between stories that were more personal and stories that were more kind of journalistic that kind of classic non-fiction yeah. subject-driven work and uh, it's been really exciting to see a real growth in like in stories that blend those two areas that take like, personal experience and um, important subjects and and kind of mesh them together. I also think just purely for me from a publishing and editorial point of view, I find with nonfiction that my job is much easier. I think I don't know, I don't know how people <laughs> because it's so subjective you know everything is is, you know a creative decision that you might not think is the best decision but it's hard to to say why yeah I (laughs) I can often say why you know I can say we want to try and help someone learn this or help someone feel this way and this is the decision that's going to get us there most yeah. likely um, yeah
0: and it's it's kind of it's either happened or so you're talking from kind of real experience whereas fiction it's you know you're sort of threading from make-believe
1: <laughs> yeah I um, mean yes that level of imagination just blows my mind and I'm a big <laughs> fiction reader and I just uh it's just still feels very magic to me so <laughs> you're a slightly more practical side yeah, of thing. yeah that's
0: gorgeous <laughs> well the the book itself you know is that is it like A5 size? Like it's, it feels like a little pocketbook that you can carry wherever you like to go. And, and you know, it feels very accessible in the way, like you were saying, an easy kind of read. You can just flick ahead and it's laid out all lovely. Uh, was that the intent behind that or?
1: Definitely for it to feel like a really beautiful object to hold mm. and to keep and, and to refer back to. And I think even as I said, something to sort of gift something that you feel like almost feels like a little card that you could present to someone. The other really important thing, both with Elsa's book and and Jester's book, was that they were both illustrated and by someone who kind of brought something to the book themselves. So Elsa's book was was illustrated by Bernard, who was a dad, and we sort of thought we needed probably in a book about dads, there should be a dad involved. I'm not a parent myself, and um, and Ailsa and was very, you know, aware that she was a mum, but not a dad, and so, um, yeah, Bernard brought so much creative, creatively to that book, and then it was the same with Jasper's book. We had the wonderful Prince Francis come on board for illustrations, who is also another queer parent, and again, just brought another parenting perspective to the book. I should also point out that the other wonderful thing we had on this book was an editor who was a queer parent, Mm -hmm. um, freelance editor. So usually as A publisher or even as an in-house editor, we work with freelance copy editors. And so it was great to have a copy editor on this book who brought their, you know, their perspective in the area as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. Their experience and authenticity. I love that. That's really cool. It's hardback. Is it all just going to be hardback like a gift? There's no paperback coffees going to be floating around or?
1: Yeah, we don't very often do hardback and paperback. And the Australian market in general doesn't do a lot of hardbacks. I don't know if that's something that you've ever noticed about the Australian publishing market it's not in in the kind of trade non-fiction and fiction space sort of your classic reading books there's not a lot of hardbacks whereas in the US for example it's a very specific decision to bring things out in hardback first and then progress it to paperback we usually the Australian market just likes a paperback It will go for a c-format paperback it may be as a start and, and if the book does well and we want to bring it out in the second edition you might go down to a b or a b plus but otherwise um when you're in this nonfiction space and you're thinking of something that is a bit more gifty something like this like a cookbook then we're thinking of slightly different formats we sometimes do paperback sometimes flexi which is like that in between of a paperback and a hardback but there is something about a hardback that feels very special
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, I just I just thought I, I haven't seen lots in Australia and I don't think so much for, for nonfiction books either, but I just would imagine they're quite expensive as opposed to publish over, say, paperbacks.
1: Yeah. They also so we the way that we do it, and I think it would be similar for a lot of a lot of Australian publishers, is that our books that are again sort of trade reading books, our black and white books essentially, text only books, are printed in Australia. And even then, Printing hardback is is more expensive and, and would be kind of only for certain types of books that you feel yeah. like, you know, the prime ministerial memoirs, for example, but hardback books that have full color internals like this one does. So with illustrations or photography, we usually print offshore just for, you know, a lot of practical reasons. And so that that's something that kind of helps on a cost front. It doesn't help on a time front. It means that there's a very long lead time for books like this, just for the time that it takes for the books to be printed and shipped to Australia. Or in the case with this book, it'll be released as well in the US and the UK. So the stock needs to go to all of those markets and get into the warehouse and then get out to the bookstores.
0: And that's (laughs) just
1: not a short process. So not good for very timely books.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh my gosh. And all I keep thinking is, it's through COVID and and everything, how, you know, publishers were probably waiting for shipping. It must have just gone crazy.
1: (laughs) It was a nightmare. Our poor sort of stock uh, team who track where the books are and where they need to be just did an incredible job of of trying to to keep things moving in that time but yes I think things have kind of settled down a little yes
0: yes appears to be so
1: (laughs) oh my gosh that kind of all those hold-ups came at the same time as such a big boom for the publishing industry books were were so well supported and loved during during the pandemic years so we had, we had challenges and we had some real wins as well.
0: That's it yeah and I've heard lots of stories come through like that whereas some people really felt the heartache and struggled and other people seemed to thrive you know it was kind of <laughs> A bit of both, wasn't it? It was, uh, yeah, crazy. Well, Jasper's book is uh, very current and unique, like you mentioned. And when I spoke to Jasper, they mentioned writing the book that they wished they had, you know, adventuring into parenthood. So clearly there is a need and a gap in the market for this type of book. Are publishers looking to publish different types of stories? Obviously, you can say from the non-fiction side rather than sort of the fiction side. Because my, my understanding, I guess, or thoughts have always been it seems logical to think oh there's a gap in the market for this this would be good to print it because there's nothing else out there like that. But uh, as an author who submits to publishing houses, they do, not so much nonfiction, but they do want comparison titles and they want to see where it is going to fit in the market. So if someone has an idea or a story and they can't really find where it would go, is that off-putting to a publisher? Or gaps in the market are quite exciting to the publisher from the nonfiction perspective?
1: It's such a catch, isn't it? Because yeah, we are always looking for comparison titles. It's kind of like what we were talking about getting into a job in somewhere like publishing where you know they want an entry-level job but they already want you to have experience it's like we want it's contradicting book. yeah we want a book that's like nothing else but can you point to some books that are like it that have sold well please <laughs> it doesn't really make sense but I think I mean I think that yes and I hope that especially in the last well you know longer than the last few years but I feel like it's it's been building in the last few years there is something which shouldn't be called a trend because it should just be part of the industry but around making sure that we have a lot more different types of stories being told and a lot more different types of people telling those stories and that our publishing industry looks much more representative of the rest of the world, which is, you know, we're absolutely not there. There's so much work to be done. Uh, And yeah, again, I don't want to say that that's anything like a trend, but I think it has kind of opened up some publishers thinking around what is some, you know, what are the kind of reliable things that sell, you know, that they don't have to just fall back onto that. I think it's really exciting to find a gap in, in the market when when there's so much that's out there. And so to that, I would say it's good to be creative when you're thinking about comp titles. So if you're approaching a publisher to not just be thinking about books that are exactly like yours, or maybe even not just to be thinking about books. Can you, if you can point to, you know, a film or a social media site or, um, you know, some other type of content that shows how many people are engaged in the topic that you're trying to to, to write about or if you're able to talk about a book that you know if you're writing in, in nonfiction, maybe this is a fiction book or if you're writing for children maybe it's a book for adults you know you don't have to have a direct comparison as long as you can kind of make a a good argument for why that shows that that there is interest in the story that you're trying to tell.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely amazing advice there. Like, it's sort of to maybe, so not this is exactly like this, but maybe even themes. You know, there's books like this, but I'm coming at it from this angle, and that's the difference. But these things are out there. Like, I guess Jasper's book is for Rainbow Families, but there's lots of parenting books out there, not in this direction, but no, that's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't really think of that. You you feel as authors, I guess, and especially aspiring ones submitting, you feel like you have to be, I don't know, you've just got to be straight down the line rather than, I I guess point out different things but content I suppose with what you're trying to get across if your book relates to something then yeah that's good to good to keep in mind do you have any other advice for authors who have unique stories to tell that you know are looking to sort of get them out there but they can't see them represented in the market just exactly what you said before
1: yeah definitely I mean I think one thing you know as I was saying to be at a point to you know, articles or social media sites, if you feel like that's not out there, maybe think about whether you could be the one who is creating some of that content. Because definitely if an author comes to us and can show that they've had articles published on a topic um, that have been, you know, read and shared, if they can show that they, um, as kind of eye rolling as it is, uh posting on social media and getting a lot of traction on, on topics, if their voice and their ideas are resonating, that does have a lot of sway in today's publishing industry. And, you know... Um, it often comes down to marketing and sales and publicity being quite collaborative with authors and um, and looking to you know hopefully introduce them to a whole lot of other readers and and different audiences, but also use the audiences that they've already established through their own their own content producing, whether that is you know whether that is social media or other types of writing. And I think I mean one thing to think about is how you want to get in touch with publishers i mean in, in australia we have some wonderful agents but unlike a market like the us we don't probably have as many gatekeepers and there are possibilities to get directly in touch mm. with with publishers if you feel like you've got an idea and you just need to kind of communicate it
0: yeah would you and- say conferences are a good way to go about uh, do publishers go there with the intent of actually you know finding authors and stuff <laughs>
1: We've definitely had a couple of books that have come through pitch sessions at conferences. We've had a couple of books that have come through people just getting in touch throughout, you know, an email address or our submissions portal. I think one great thing to do is, you know, if you do have a book that feels similar to your book or that you really love to check who the editor, who the publisher was, if you can check in the acknowledgements, who the editor was, you know, look up that company, see how you feel like your book might fit into their list and be really targeted when you get in touch in terms of why you think it would be a good fit. Uh, And definitely always check the submission guidelines because they're usually there. You know, you can usually tell when someone's just blanket submitting um, (laughs) uh, as opposed to really kind of thinking about why they think your book is uh, a fit. Yeah,
0: I can't say I've ever um pitched to a publisher. Well, like I've, I've had the manuscript ready because I thought that's what you had to have. But if it was, say, an unknown person pitching a book, how does that come around? Because I think with the submissions, now, I think there is an option I have seen, I, I couldn't say through some publishers where it is you're submitting a full works or a pitch so there is seems to be that option through the submission port- portals now but if it's an unknown kind of aspiring author pitching a book would that be did, I guess it? does it depend on the idea or would you you think I don't know if this person can deliver because they've got nothing to sort of show?
1: Oh we work with first time authors all the time. Okay yeah, <laughs> that's there's great no, It's not like if you we're just looking for people who have already published and have got you know a set track record in book sales you know there are so many factors that you're looking at when, um, when you can Considering another book for your list in terms of yeah in terms of what kind of things you feel like the market is needing at that moment and and what kind of potential you think that person might have as an ongoing talent for publishing other books you know we love investing in, in authors who feel like they have a career in, in publishing in lots of different ways um, actually one thing you, you mentioned when you read my bio is that I, I I work on a prize called the Spark Prize which is probably <laughs> an interesting one to talk about when it comes to um, pitching because it is a pitching prize there are a lot of literary prizes that require you to have a full manuscript this one does not oh, so it's cool. a narrative nonfiction, and it requires you to put together a pitch so I think it's just a really great exercise for people who are looking to write nonfiction fiction and and thinking about how they'd go about getting published. We run it every two years with RMIT, provide lots of great resources. If you look up, you know, Hardy Grant, the Spark Prize, there's really great sort of step by steps around putting together a non fiction pitch. But the core things are always an outline of the book, so kind of like a synopsis that could work as like a blurb or a little bit of an introduction of a book something that hooks you in a, a structure of the book so a, a suggested kind of chapter outline an author bio so that does speak to whether you have certain you know qualifications or experience but that doesn't have to be qualifications and experience as an author it can be qualifications and experience as a doctor as a chef as, you know because <laughs> you're writing a nonfiction, your other life experience can be so important yeah. To how you're gonna tell a story. And then a sample of the work. But that sample for the prize, I think it's five thousand words, but i usually say one to
0: three chapters.
1: Okay. But that, I mean you know, chapter length is a piece of yeah. string.
0: And any any chapters within the, the work, or does it have to be the beginning or
1: doesn't have to be doesn't the beginning. It? I think sometimes even it being from different parts of the book is good. I feel like as the chapters being most representative of the book is the best and I think that that also helps I feel like sometimes people do have an idea for a nonfiction book and you might sit down and write the outline and write an introduction but you haven't written one of the kind of body chapters and in the body chapter you think okay I'm gonna interview some experts and I'm gonna tell an element of my personal story and I'm gonna do this and that and then actually the exercise of writing a chapter like that will probably tell you whether or not that is the book that you kind of want to write
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah oh no that's fantastic I love that so when uh when's the spark prize is it on right now or is it already been in past right or... now
1: yes yeah, so we ran it last year so it won't be running this year but it'll be running next year again so very long tail promo here for mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. is it is it more like at the start
0: of the year or end of the year
1: we ran it mid-year last year but it does this sort of it's, it just really depends so far so we'll, we'll see we'll see what sticks
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no well, it sounds amazing that's a, I I love that that you know and you're absolutely right all the prizes that are out there they want you to have something good to go so the fact that you know there's a, a pitching one out there so that's great know, that's yeah.
1: great I do have one other piece of advice
0: actually I was thinking
1: yeah. on uh, you know people wanting to tell a unique story which is I guess around another thing that sort of feels a bit like a contradiction but it's something to be really aware of and 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 think about a lot before you probably start on the publishing journey, which is, I think a lot of people telling a really unique story will often be because they've had some unique experience or, uh, you know, they have a unique perspective themselves. And I think it can be really tricky. I mean, you know, you, you talk a lot about hybrid publishing and, and when it comes to traditional publishing, there's that idea that a publisher will have, you know, their own ideas about how they want the book to look and feel and read. And and that's that's absolutely true you know I you, we, you hope that we know what we're doing and that we say things <laughs> because they will help the book's potential to read a wide, reach a wider audience which is ideally you know everyone's goal um but I think trying to make sure you're open to feedback from the publisher while also feeling empowered to Say that you know your story better than anyone and, and your perspective is important. And so, you know, making sure you, you feel that really strong sense of ownership throughout the process as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good points there. And it's something that's that's been around for a long time and then it's actually been on my mind today, actually, about what if someone came to you with a pitch, they wanted to share not their own story, but someone else's unique story. Is it authentic in publishing that the story has to come from the person who's experienced it?
1: It's a good question. Actually, I feel like Alice's book, the one I mentioned earlier on, Not Wonderful Dad, but... The Care Factor is such an interesting mm. example of this. It's essentially a biography, but it's a, a biography that kind of plays with the form a little bit, where Ailsa kind of becomes a character in the story as well as the narrator. And the the subject of the book, Sim, obviously was fully supportive of the book. She wasn't on board as a creator you know she wasn't credited as an author or anything but she did a read of the book and you know spoke at the launch and she was you know a very enthusiastic participant but it um, wasn't her book and so I think that was a really interesting thing for Failsa for to explore is kind of how you can tell someone else's story with them but not for them I guess yeah. does that make sense yeah uh, it does There are yeah. so many people who have great stories to to tell and who won't necessarily want to or be in a position to tell them and that's totally like not everyone wants to write a book and that's probably a good yeah. thing because they're really hard <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and there's already lords out there <laughs> um so yeah I mean because I as I mentioned I've have been a ghost writer before and we do yeah. work with certain high profile people or people who have a certain story to tell but aren't going to be able to tell them themselves and, and help them with some of the writing and that's not not super uncommon it's not I feel like people just assume that every high profile book is ghost written which is not the case as well but yeah. But, but yeah so people you know get help telling the stories all the time but I think yeah. I, I really like how I also went about doing that project the care factor in terms of telling yeah. someone a story but in a way that felt very yeah very collaborative and creative
0: yeah no that's great because yeah I, I feel like there is lots of different ways you can t- tell a story and then you know there's there is that tried and true method I suppose that people have in the past that if they're gonna share someone's story they they have them on board and they interview them but it's not directly their them sharing the work themselves so but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be out there but yeah there's all these big debates and I'm just like oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when it comes to it as well but uh, your ghostwriting background that would have that's probably comes really in handy with working with non-fiction and and authors as well telling the stories I would imagine
1: yeah I think it was good it, I mean so it was just it was one project but it was a one big project and it was very it was a good kind of crash course in <laughs> in, in publishing I guess from being on the other side of the, of the fence I was kind of working almost as an author you know I had an editor in-house and I was seeing the process from that side and because it was based on just extensive interviews with the subject and then kind of transcribing and piecing that together in a lot of ways it felt more like a big editing job really <laughs> than a than a writing job which is probably um, why I liked it so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, yeah. And, what, and what about your own no uh dying to write the next great novel from yourself <laughs> no, absolutely not. oh my goodness I do not have the imagination and
1: the blank pages are terrifying. Um, and I just I just love working with other people's words. I, I really love when you are sort of so immersed in someone else's voice and it feels like they're kind of just narrating your life, uh, whether whether you, that's as a reader or, or when you're kind of lucky to be working on a manuscript as an editor. And it's, yeah, kind of trying to inhabit that that voice and that perspective is, is something I feel very privileged to be able to do. And it's obviously not something to take lightly, but yeah, no, that's, that's what I love doing
0: yeah well you're doing it extremely well congratulations on the book well obviously giving it the go-ahead well I know your your books as well to past and present to come but thank you so much for your time ex- and expertise Emily uh, just shared so much there and it was amazing can you tell our listeners where they can discover you know Hardy Grant or your authors and their books on and offline yeah, sure.
1: I mean, definitely Hardy Grant. If you go to our website or social media, uh, I mean, I'm not going to give you a URL. You can you can Google Hardy Grant. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, I would obviously just always recommend any bookstore. We are so lucky in Australia to have such great independent bookstores. And that's not the case in a lot of other markets. It's sort of like you're top of Amazon or you're nothing. So yeah, go and go and ask at your local bookstore or check on the spine for the little dog symbol, and you'll find a Hardy Grant mm-hmm. book.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much, Emily. That was fantastic. Thanks, Joe. I really enjoyed it. So there you have it, folks. The utterly gorgeous Emily Hart sharing her fabulous expertise on many aspects which make up the non-fiction publishing industry. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have fantasy author P.L. Stewart sharing his insights on everything you need to know about hybrid publishing. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. That's it for me. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.